Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A quick word to let you know that if you pledge $10 or more to the Creative Control Patreon page throughout April 2017, you will receive one Creative Control t-shirt while supplies last. I have the maroon one with my head on it and the sort of yellow one with the pizza lettering and in unisex, small, medium, large, and extra large sizes. So if you'd like to support the show and receive a small, medium, large, or extra large token of my appreciation, visit patreon.com slash creative control to view the shirts and pledge $10 or more today. Thanks! Tim Darcy is an exciting and provocative American poet, singer, songwriter, musician, and performer currently based in Montreal, Quebec. Well-respected for his work as a dynamic vocalist and intricate lyricist in the band Ought, Darcy recently stepped out for a record and tour under his own name. Here's a sample of the aforementioned album's title track, Saturday Night. I wish I'd run away sooner Save time. I wish I'd run away sooner to unclog my mind. And all that's left of me is what I know. That I might Saturday Night was released by Jag Jaguar Records in February 2017, and Darcy and his band have already crossed parts of Canada, the United States, and Europe to spread the word about it and play some shows. With some more concerts ahead of him, Tim and I caught up for a chat a few weeks ago where we discussed his experience at this year's controversial South by Southwest Festival in Austin, Texas, which faced backlash over performance limits they imposed on traveling musicians, the political climate and consciousness in America and Canada, how writing with and playing in Ott has influenced him as a solo artist, 
what's up with the new art record and his own musical plans, and much more. Sponsored by Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, this is Tim Darcy on the 313th episode of Creative Control with me, Vishkana. Hi Tim, how you doing? Hey Vish, how's it going? Pretty well, pretty well. I'm I'm here in Guelph. Where are you? I'm in Toronto right now, actually. You're in Toronto. I didn't know you spent time in Toronto. I think of you as a Montreal guy. Why are you in Toronto? Uh, well, I just got back from a five-week-long tour around the solo record I made, and the two people in the band are Toronto-based, so it made sense for me to be hanging out here. And also, I'm currently uh, seeing somebody who lives in Toronto, so <laughs> I'm hanging uh, I out here a bit. It's two birds with one stone kind of situation, right? And 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 is how that TMI? I think that might be TMI <laughs> for uh, for podcast. <laughs> no, no, podcasts are all about TMI. I was actually going to name this okay. podcast TMI at one point, but because uh, <laughs> people tend to tell me things they probably shouldn't, uh, so uh, <laughs> it's just a thing that happens. Uh, how was your five week tour? It was really good. Yeah, it was really you know very different and like. The first time I'd ever gone out uh, playing solo songs uh, with a lot with a full band, and um, I mean, other than I guess like maybe two shows prior to this tour, one of which you were at the Pop Montreal show, but yeah, and this was the first time when we actually had like a couple of weeks leading up to the tour to like really hone the live set, and um, but it was it was really good. Like the crowds were great, and um, it was a, a good experience, and definitely like a good kind of just learning experience for me of just doing something really different. You, I want to get back to that Pop Montreal show in a moment, but you, where, where did you actually go on this tour? We did, um, in Canada, it was just Toronto and Montreal, and then we toured down to South By, like down the East Coast, and then shot up the middle again, like through to Chicago. Uh, and then we did a week in Europe um, where we like flew into London and then went over and did like, Brussels and Amsterdam and then two shows in France that sort of thing and 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 how was touring the states it was really good yeah uh, we did the whole that whole leg of the tour with this artist Molly Birch who it has a record out on captured tracks right now um, and they were really really nice wonderful people um, her record kind of has like almost like a really really old school sort of like jazz vocalist, like kind of Chanteuse sort of vibe. So it's just like really um, cool, like kind of different from like normal uh, indie rock sort of vibe. And uh, the shows are really good. I think some highlights were Chicago was an amazing show. Ott has good shows there as well. And uh, South By was crazy. It's such a weird scene. I had never been before. And it... I, I've never encountered a music festival like that where it, 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 the crowds really had this very particular energy to them where it was like um, obviously so many industry people, so many tired bands and, and people who are going to see like 12 shows a day or whatever. But on the whole, it was, it was still cool to like run into you know other artists who are down there and that sort of thing. 
it was a rather controversial year for South by Southwest because of their, it wasn't quite a travel ban, but they basically implied that they wouldn't uh, permit artists playing the festival to play other places. And if they did try to do that, they the, 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 alleged, the allegation was that South by Southwest was going to potentially uh, deport them. Uh, you know, visiting artists internationally if they violated this clause. Did you hear about that? I did, yeah. And so what was it like for you to play a festival with such a clause? Did you think that was blown out of proportion or what was your take on that? No, I think especially in the current climate, like it's really important to take things like that seriously because obviously the matter at hand is really important. And But it's also, you know, it, it feels so much so a part of a larger conversation and um, this, you know, really large and significant cultural institution um, being forced to kind of like clarify, if not alter their stance, um, I I think was really important. And I was really glad to see how that all went down, Um, you know, but I remember like initially when I first saw like stuff coming up about it, I was like, you know, I want to. I, I want to hold off on posting about like any showcases or whatever that I'm on because, you know, I I want to I want to hear this out. Like I want to see what what's going to happen. And you know, I saw some really like engaged and like you know really lefty people coming back and being like, you know, it's just like an insurance thing. Which you know that might be true, but it's also I think I think it's just a a good move to like remove that kind of language that could be seen as you know being aligned with a kind of xenophobic way of thinking about our country or thinking about the u.s um our country (laughs) thinking about the u.s and and um you know i'm glad that uh like they like released the statement and like clarified and removed the language and um but yeah, I you know, hearing about like those unofficial shows, like I also having never been to South by, I didn't realize that like, you know, for a lot of artists, like the unofficial shows were like people actually got some refuge from like all the industry crap because you could just go and like play a show with some bands that you really liked and kind of make real connections with people. And I think that that seems like a super important element to preserve especially especially because so many you know the majority of the bands aren't getting paid and you know you're kind of just going down there to like uh, i don't know kind of like lay down in front in front of some kind of invisible godhead or whatever you know it feels really weird (laughs) well there is the perception that just you know there's an opportunity to be seen and heard by going to a, a festival where you know, whatever, 2,000 bands are playing or whatever yeah. it is. Um, but I also, I, think, I don't want to give the impression that, like, I think that it was, like, a full success because there were obviously, there were still, like, a bunch of bands that were barred, like, by the border services just because, like, in, not even in reference to the South By thing, just, like, in reference to, like, kind of a weird, like, Trump doctrine that's, like, not actually law. And that's, like, that's so scary. That's terrifying that... Like, that's, like, essentially fascism. (laughs) Yeah, they're already enacting something that hasn't actually been legislated. And, I mean, you've said a few telling things there. I asked you about this tour, and you mentioned uh, the pleasant experience you had 
with a with your opening band and, and just the 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 sort of uh, experience of touring. But you also made a reference to our country. You you are American, right? That is that is true. Yeah. So I guess when I was asking how was the tour, I wasn't necessarily thinking like, hey, did you have a good time on stage? <laughs> I meant you're re-entering your country amidst uh, a lot of turmoil. I, yeah. I guess I wonder, you know, uh, you're a thoughtful guy. Uh, this is not uh, not healthy on some level, uh, or on every level. It's not a good time for your country, uh, for your, your home country, America. Uh, when I asked how it went, I was kind of leading that way. Uh, yeah. And you confronted this head on, it sounds like it's South by Southwest, but I mean, how are you feeling about your home country these days? Um, I feel both, I feel this kind of sadness, which is one of the most predominant feelings, just that it, it feels like a like an unreality and it feels like it could have been avoided, you know? Like, it seems like the momentum was there on the left to, like, go a different way. And it's just a, a real shame that that didn't happen. But, you know, I guess the part of me that's also so inspired by a lot of the work that people are doing, and I think people are also taking less for granted now and mm. taking the idea that, any one candidate is going to solve everything less for granted. And I think that's motivating a lot of really amazing and kind of like, you know, first, potentially first time endeavors of like, you know, people being active with like who they support both, you know, monetarily, but also um, like which groups are, are given given attention and that sort of thing and I think that that like that type of work extends beyond any one candidacy and so the the hopeful part of me feels that maybe like we weren't ready sort of you know like we have to deal with some stuff and like kind of stare like the darkest parts of western society like directly in the face which I mean it really feels like that's what's happening at this current moment, um, and sort of work work through them and and um, kind of, or at least like confront them head on and sh- and shine the light directly on them. So there are aspects of this calamity that you find heartening. Yeah, I mean, especially in in the sense of like what I see individuals doing and like people you know who I grew up with people. Yeah, people I went to high school with or whatever and and who I've, you know, been so inspired by and, like, just so heartened by, like, seeing them get more involved um, with, like, um, being just, like, very kind of consistently conscientious and not just, like, rallying around, like, a, a particular candidate and just being generally more informed. And, you know, obviously I, I think that I don't want to, like, valorize this moment because i think that we have to be like really vigilant um and obviously like it's it's a shame like there's just going to be some like bad shit that goes down under the trump administration and i i'm really heartened by you know like watching the aclu and like watching like the support that's like coming around planned parenthood and feeling like those 
you know, those groups, in addition to like many, many other smaller groups uh, who need the attention and need the money um, and maybe aren't getting it quite as much, but um, who are just doing really amazing stuff and like kind of um, attempting to draw lines in the sand that, again, like extend beyond like one candidate or extend beyond one tiny particular political moment and are more just about like human decency and like human rights and like um how we like build and support a community of people yeah it does seem that despite the defeat there are there's a large cohort of people that are refusing to be defeated by this in fact like you say i think it's actually spurred them to act in ways that they might have just might not have thought to do because they maybe took certain things for granted. Um, of course, who could have foreseen what was coming? Um, of course. On some level, I guess we were, some of us were caught off guard. And I mean, when you speak, did you talk to people at shows about these things? Did you talk to people who were coming out and trying to get their sense of things as people who actually live in, in the cities you were visiting? Yeah, there'd be people who would come up and, you know, we'd have talks and definitely like as a touring cohort like the there were eight of us and you know it would come up a lot and uh talking about the state of things and talking about bernie sanders and (laughs) um but it's you know it comes up a lot in in interviews which i think is is not even that it's unavoidable i think it's just that it's so on everybody's minds like nobody wants to it almost feels wrong to like not mention it or it does feel wrong to not mention it i even i just read this morning this new yorker article about watches <laughs> it was it like circled back to like talking about trump at some point in the article and i it just it didn't even feel it didn't feel forced it felt so so germane to just like a, a current article being written on on any topic yeah, I don't. I don't think there's a way to avoid it. I'm certainly not avoiding it on on this program, and, yeah. and I'm trying to talk to people about it because obviously, whatever's happening uh, in America would we feel the implications and ramifications up in Canada, and I, I know in this case, uh, it's it's around the world. Uh, I actually remember the first time we spoke. Uh, it was with Ott, your band yeah. Ott, and and everyone was gathered around. A, computer and I remember you guys were anyway I guess I was too but I remember that uh, we were talking about your first record and, and the fact that you you all sort of met up and, and connected in Montreal and and how the sort of protests and riots that would occur um, maybe they weren't riots maybe they were peaceful I think they were peaceful demonstrations but I remember the the protest culture in Montreal was really inspiring to you guys and I, I remember if I, as I recall it, it really informed your work. Uh, d- does living in Montreal is that an inspiring thing for you still? Is that am I way off the mark here? Maybe I'm misremembering. Does any of that resonate with you? No, I mean you're not. You're you're, you're right on the money. Um, it uh, yeah. I mean that moment was so inspiring, just in the sense of like feeling a kind of like a very human communalism that I hadn't experienced up till then in American politics. I mean, obviously I'm a young person, so I can't like reach too far back, but, um, this was, uh, this, as I recall, it was protests surrounding education or, yeah, 
Uh, and there's like a there's a pretty grand history of that in Quebec. And I, I think as far as in the U.S., I think maybe part of what I'm talking about right now of like the hopeful side of all of this is seeing something similar to that, like obviously much more spread out. And there are, you know, very direct correlations like people being in the street and like, you know, the, I think the, I think it was the Women's Day March that was the largest mass gathering of people worldwide in human history. I believe that's correct. Yes. And that's, that's incredible. You know, that's, that's so significant and it feels so like that this it makes me feel i hope not naively but it makes me really feel like this moment is a sort of the night is darkest before the dawn kind of moment yeah i i'm choosing to believe that as well i i'm choosing to believe that all of this suffering and pain and frustration is going is, is actually feeding something positive yeah but of course we have to remain active on the other side not on the other side but i think maybe that's part of it is like kind of ending this like constant i mean especially in american politics this constant like uh a b switch of just like this or that and yeah. moving towards a, a, a sort of third way or i mean i hate to even say like third way but just like a more broad sense of like again how we think about one another and like what we actually care about that moves beyond like a kind of just incessant seesawing between two extremes that feel increasingly and i i guess thankfully very thankfully like irrelevant to how people want to think about the future that they're going to build it do, it does seem I think, anyway, we're shifting away from binary processing. Uh, yeah. It makes it sound like a computer, but we uh, we tend to look at things as right and wrong and, and black and white. And I feel like with the way we consume culture, and which has, I think, never been more open-ended, I feel like people are starting to unbox themselves from yeah. these notions of yes or no. Um, perhaps there's a third way of doing it is that something you're was that what you were getting at there i totally feel that and i think that that's amazing and i think i think that once you start moving into that that space which is maybe initially kind of frightening in a sort of caged animal sort of way um of like coming out into the open and i don't want to like make any kind of like I, I don't mean caged animal in like a negative way. I mean it purely in like a metaphorical way, like having, you know, gone through some of that myself. I mean, I was very lucky to have like a very open-minded upbringing and like a, you know, a parent who was very open-minded, but um, I've still definitely experienced how great it feels to be surrounded by very open-minded people and how like freeing that is to the spirit and you know i i think talking about how people consume culture is also really important because people being exposed to lots of just difference is i think really uh i think it's kind of undeniable like you can't like look around at all the the sort of wonder of the world as it were and not feel like uh, a bit like small if you just want to like stay in your kind of like fearful corner 
But I, I think that's what's inspiring certain people to cling to those, to that smallness, to yeah. that, to that uniformity. Um, this is not even to necessarily disparage them. It does seem archaic to me that you would want to limit your experience or, or and in turn limit the experiences of others. But that is what it is. It's a paranoia about things changing and shifting. And you were saying that, you know, you were lucky to have an upbringing that that, that did, there was an open-mindedness to it, I guess, is what you were saying, right? Yeah. But I think also, I mean, the two things that I would bring up, which I'm sure you already know, is one, you know, that map that went around right after the election, which is what the election results would have looked like if only 18 to like 35 year olds or 18 to 30 year olds had voted and it yeah, there were the whole... a few different there were a few different maps like that like what would happen if only women voted or yeah yeah and yeah. the map was like all blue and there's also a, i read this really fascinating statistic that apparently the approval of gay marriage amongst adults in the most progressive state on gay marriage which i think is massachusetts is still lower than the approval rating of, again, just one topic, but gay marriage in the least progressive state on the topic, which is like Alabama or something. So again, oh. like it's not anything that you can totally like, you know, just say like, okay, the work is done, but it, it is so inspiring. It's so amazing that amongst young people in the least progressive state on this topic, there's a higher approval of gay marriage than again in in massachusetts and to me there's this sort of i mean hopefully undeniable wave of of consciousness coming in that i really really hope just sets like a a new high watermark for how people think about each other and then the things that we quibble over on like a societal level are you know way more minute (laughs) um and when I look at when I look at the Republican Party, but when I look at the Trump administration, I really I feel like there's just so much fear there. Like it's like you said, you know, these people, these like decaying white men, like oligarchs, they're just afraid of losing their their status because they have no actual seat of confidence and no actual their confidence doesn't come from a place of like thinking that they're good people or that they've been like good parents or that they have love in their life it's that they have this they have a sort of um yeah like oligarchic power over people and i Mm -hmm. heard somebody say the other day that you know uh, i think that these people are just terror like so afraid of death that they want to bring everybody down with them and i think that there's something to that i think that it whatever it is there's just the whole thing reeks of fear and i think that like love and and hopefully you know compassion will will uh, that that sort of tide will wash over it yeah I, I, and i think that speaks into policy making that doesn't take the future into account i think there's a course, yes. a weird narrow minded focus on i mean that's why the epa is just slowly being dismantled by this administration yeah. uh, in the states and and why you know we in canada had to deal with the same thing uh with the I, I don't think actually things are much better with our liberal government than they were the conservative, but on some level they, well, that's a other complicated thing <laughs> that I don't end up talking yeah. about as much as I should on the show. You know, the, yeah, I've talked to so many um, 
American artists uh, about America and we talk I even when I talk to Canadian artists I guess sometimes I I'm very fixated on the Trump stuff and I feel like yeah we sometimes in Canada are oblivious to what's happening in our own country in terms of equally problematic and damaging uh, legislation and right. policy making so but um, and I don't want to brush that aside. I mean, if you have things to say about that, I'd I'd like to hear them uh, because you have this you have you possess an interesting duality. You live in Canada, but you uh, you were bo- where were you raised again? Were you raised in Arizona? I was born in Arizona. I was raised in New Hampshire. New Hampshire, right? Uh, which is I actually don't know. Is New Hampshire was that a nice <laughs> was that a nice state to live in? Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, <clears throat> I can't, uh, you know it's a really small town. Um, but I think as far as upbringings go, is uh, you know, I, I was, it was pretty solid. I had good friends and yeah. So what is your perspective? You've been in Canada, what, like 10 years, eight years, something like that? Yeah, I think it'll, it's coming up on eight. Eight, right. So what do you make of our country in relation to yours? Uh, do you feel like we have a false sense of progressiveness or do you think that on some some level we are maybe more advanced in our thinking than the states are we smug what is it what do you what do you make of us tim <laughs> well i think there are a couple of things that are undeniable like i mean things like healthcare it's such well, that obviously is a really hot button topic right now and the thing is you know i had my mom was a nurse and so I really I feel like I got a lot of insight into like how essential that is to someone's stability as a as a human and it's something that is so easy to take for granted like I mean as a child like for various reasons like I was in and out of the hospital a lot and I can't imagine if I hadn't had access to care like just the kind of um, base level of, again, stability that that provides to someone being able to then like even think about school, you know? And Mm -hmm. that, on that level, like I I think Canada is more advanced. And I think that I, I really hope that not even within my lifetime, but like within the next four to five years we see something similar happen in the u.s and something like 65 percent of americans want single-payer health care now and i think that my whole my whole heart uh, yearns for that to happen because I, I think that that would be such an enormous step forward because also having like a really stable and successful nationwide kind of I don't want to say socialist program, but something like that, I think would also really open people's minds up to like the huge benefits of systems like that. Even mm-hmm. thinking then about like, um, you know, free secondary education and that sort of thing. But yeah, I'm also reticent to like weigh in on differences because as you said, you know, there are all these really hopeful candidates that come along. And I think that there is something significant like about having a candidate like Obama or Trudeau where it feels like even the fact that 
there's someone who is clearly just has like a humanity to them i think it it, it almost like it it doesn't of course um mean that any kind of progress is necessarily going to come i mean there were definitely big advances and big setbacks in the obama administration as far as you know militaristically it was mm-hmm. it was heartbreaking but then yeah socially there were a lot of really amazing moments and um yeah socially domestically yeah yeah, yeah. of course and you know thinking, i don't know like there's like this rep that canada gets of being this like um beautiful and like friendly almost like utopia and obviously that that attitude is dangerous just because it really paints over a lot of a lot of terrible things that have happened and a lot of work that really needs to be done um, yeah i think it fosters a complacency that i i'm guilty of myself um yeah. because you do tend to we do tend to look down upon I mean we literally have to look down upon America because it's below us but we do tend to look down upon what's happening um, I mean generally not all of us no, I don't I mean, think I I don't think I do that I don't I think was just laughing at your look down at America <laughs> like your, your, your map joke <laughs> yes yeah, so I'd like to make the odd geography joke on the show uh, but no I mean we are, I think some of us are looking at America right now with some smugness that is unwarranted given what we're going through and what right. we've done and what we've accomplished and not accomplished. And uh, so. Canada is not so far away from the Harper government, which whatever you think of Trudeau, like that was a, that Harper is not so distinct from Trump. No. And we're swinging, we swing both. We, we, as you were saying earlier about their, or maybe I was saying earlier about this binary, we tend to go, uh, in cycles where it's a uh, ostensibly a conservative, it's almost always an actually conservative government, but then we have an ostensibly liberal government right. that it tends to be center right uh, or center uh, left, I guess. Um, and yeah, it's it's complicated. Like I don't, we I don't I feel like a lot of us up here don't think it's all that great up here either. Um, I, I know that visiting American artists have made comments about how it's so great to be up in Canada. And I, I just think, well, you, you know. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Trudeau is for the XL pipeline, too. Um, the Keystone pipeline as well. So, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, what? Uh, what are we actually accomplishing up in Canada that is... 
you know, we're falling in line on some level, uh, on a federal level as well. So yeah. Anyway, who are we? We're just a couple of guys <laughs> talking about uh, policy and politics. And, and I did want to draw all of this back to this show I saw you play at Pop Montreal somehow, because we were talking about being boxed in and and uh, the freedom we have to think and, and try things uh, and the freedom that some people who are traditional traditionalists might, uh, might reject. But I remember being at that show at... Casa del Popolo and seeing you play you were saying that was an, a pretty early show right? Yeah I think that was the, the second the second show ever for that configuration. Yeah. This configuration I suppose. I just remember being quite taken with just how all over the place and dynamic it was. It felt you know it's it, it felt like the a clear exemplary, exemplary version of punk to me this notion of just like anything could happen from song to song and but it was all of a whole piece uh that seems deliberate on your part you're 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 trying to express a a certain amount of freedom with this project i think totally and i'm really grateful uh that or i'm really excited to see how that's come across like even you know in in interviews and like people who've done i guess well yeah just to start with that um, you know, people talking about hearing a kind of like almost like subconscious element to it, or yeah, like um, like people asking me about like automatic writing and stuff like that. And I I think that there is a, a definitely an element of that, and I think it's sort of like it's sort of just what I needed to do artistically at that moment, which was um, kind of get back to. And again, like a lot of these songs, songs on Saturday night are, they're old songs of mine. And I was feeling a kind of yearning to play in this different style again and to sort of um, revisit some of those pastures, so to speak, and, and sort of see what I might find there. And it sort of came about, it came about really organically that there was even a record to speak of because initially it was just going over to record a song or two Mm -hmm. and it just felt so good (laughs) and it it became clear really immediately that it was something that you know I, I wanted to keep doing so I actually recorded this record in Toronto with two friends who live here just because they had free studio access um, so I came back maybe five or six times over the course of a six-month period and just slowly would, like, add another track or two to the mix. And, you know, I think it it creates a very... It's a, it's a unique record, I guess, if I can say that about my own work. <laughs> in that, I think you can. You, you're free to say that. Yeah. In that there is, you know, it is it does cover a lot of ground sonically and there's this through thread which is that they were all recorded in a particular moment and obviously it's my voice on every track but um, I've just been really uh, yeah like gracious and excited that so many people have liked the record because it is such a personal document and um, it is kind of a you know it's different from like 
a lot of other, I don't know, studio records. You say it was a personal document. You mentioned that, that these songs are older. Do they actually predate your time in aught? A couple of them do, yeah. Like there's a the oldest song on the album is Saint Germain, and that predates Ott by a couple of years. Um, so when you when you contemplate this as, uh, and I'm sorry, are you kind of insinuating that this is potentially a more personal record than the Ott records you've made? Uh, it definitely is. I mean, the Ott records, we we write all of those songs collaboratively, and usually out of long jams. And it doesn't mean that. Um, you know, I wasn't fully invested in those artistic projects. It just means that this record has a soul wellspring, and that's just my self. So in that well, way, it's inherently more personal. My impulse when you say that it's a more personal record, my impulse is to think of it lyrically. Um so when you say you collaborate on every song with Odd, you're still fundamentally the, the the lyric writer in that band, right? Yes. So if if you're the lyric writer in both, am I wrong to kind of conflate personal record with your vocal and lyrical expression? Because I feel like that's where that's what I lean towards. That's my default. Like if you say it's a more personal record, I assume it's within the content of what you're saying and how you're saying it. So I'm I'm curious if you can maybe either clarify or ex- elaborate upon that and, and also maybe, uh, yeah, distinguish between the lyric writing in, in Ought and, and this collection of songs. Totally. I think, that I mean, that it, that's a huge element, like what's being said and what's being talked about. And the lyrics on my solo record, they are much more intimate, um, you know, almost by almost to like a program sort of <laughs> uh, the first two alt records are you know they're very um, far reaching they're very um, I don't want to say like universalist but they're like um, they're much more like macroscopic in their themes and that again like came up very naturally like it was just sort of the nature of the project like everything being very democratic um everything being written collaboratively so in a band like that there was never a moment where well i guess that's not true but there it feels much more organic to write more broadly because there are definitely lyrical moments on the art records that are from a very personal place like Habit is a more personal song than. I like, don't. I, I don't want to blow this out of proportion. No, no, but no, no. I, not at all. I, all, I, all I was going to say is that I, I think of the Ott records as kind of voice of a gener. I'm not saying you're the voice of a generation, Tim, or your band is, because <laughs> that would be uh, a weird thing to tell That's someone. Very weird, yeah. In in a in a interview setting, but I did get the sense anyway that you were trying to capture the tone of your generation. You were trying to capture the mood of uncertainty and, uh, but also, um, I don't know, righteousness and joy um, at the possibility of what your generation could accomplish and what your cohort of friends could accomplish. Um, Meaning, like, I I felt like, again, I hesitate to use these words like anthemic, but it did have this sense of 
you know, I, I could tell you were representing more than yourself, uh, and whether that, and maybe more than your band. That was my sense of it. Whereas this seems far more personal. This seems really about. Uh, I don't know you very well, but I get the sense that this is Saturday night is more about you and how you relate to the world personally. Yeah. Yeah, I think that that's that's pretty spot on. And the funny <laughs> thing is, like, in like in art, like you know writing most of the first record like there we didn't have a record deal or anything like it was really just like a lot of stuff that like I was grappling with and like thinking about and I think you know the intensity got ramped up a little bit once we thought more people were going to hear it or whatever but I didn't go back and change lyrics really and you know even when we had finished the record it was like the day before the album release and I remember you know nobody had any idea that it was even going to get reviewed (laughs) because we uh that was just not our our framework or whatever and we didn't know if anybody was going to like it and um so in that sense of I I mean I I think you're right but I more just want to clarify just more on the level of like it wasn't that wasn't the project to like write songs that were like um for for everyone or whatever you know and uh, i think there are a lot of there's a lot of great art that i really admire that does that and i think maybe that is other than the circumstances and just the way that i i maybe write about things that influence of being inspired by other art that does kind of consider our humanness um, ended up with art being the way that it was. And I think you're mm-hmm. also, you're absolutely right to call my record like a a more personal record, but it's not like it's a, you know, I would like to think that there are relatable things in there as well. And in the sense of being on the spectrum of like, just considering life or whatever it's not considering my life yeah no no and i and i think that's what uh, that's what uh, a strong writer like yourself is able to do is to actually convey something universal even from a a personal anecdote or whatever and i th- i do think you accomplished that but there's a couple of things that you said that i want to touch upon in terms of your writing you you invoke the phrase automatic writing and uh, you said that people were asking you about that can you expand upon that how does that inform your work um well i i find that i get surprised by things that i've written automatically and that those often end up being i don't mean in the sense of like a free write or whatever which you know everybody just has a different process like some people will like intentionally sit down and like just fill pages until their brain turns off and I think that however you can get to that place is great. But for me, it, it'll it come like I'll, I'll get like a little thought and I'll just run and like grab a notebook and and like just like it kind of go like right until the thought disappears. And I, I'll you're often... You're kind of chasing down the thought. Yeah. And I'll often get poems or lyrics or like little just like shrapnels of ideas that maybe don't end up anywhere from that. And the same thing happens with art, like more so 
I mean, on, on the first record, it was more done without a notebook in that we just, we had so much time before we recorded anything that we would play the songs over and over again, and I would just keep singing until I honed the words. Um, but, you know, it is, I, I don't know, it's not like my process in that I've also definitely sat down and tried to just finish verses. But I wonder, you know, talking to other lyricists and songwriters like how much of that ebbs in because for me sometimes it'll be like three words that come out seemingly from nowhere and then it just feels like oh okay well that's clearly what the song is about and then i'll have to write around that more concertedly interesting and do you not do you not dialogue with other writers about their process i do but um i don't have and i listen to a lot of like especially more and more touring like podcasts um but it seems like you know people are to varying degrees willing to talk about their process and also like the i think that there's something really sacred that happens in there that you almost like can't shine a light directly on i read this really great one recently um with mary oliver do you know her yeah so I was reading, uh, I guess she has a couple of books like on writing and, you know, she's got some great poetry, but um, I was reading this entry about her process and basically her feeling was that um, through habits, through like a, a kind of craft, um, which for her is like, you know, kind of setting, sitting down every morning and like saying that you're going to write for a couple of hours like the act of doing that like you know if you start writing every day you pro- you might not get anything good for the first couple of days or you might not get anything good for a stretch of a quite a period but like creating that sort of uh craft or or habit or whatever you want to call it um a kind of process like that makes the space available for then like an inspiration to come up and i I really identify with that process. Like I find that, you know, if I'm really busy, like on tour or just like a lot of stress or craziness in my life, like I don't, I don't ever, I don't feel inspired. I don't feel words coming up at all. But as soon as I start making space to like sit by the window and with my notebook or whatever, like even if it doesn't come right away, that's just like, giving yourself that little like pause um, enables things to start coming up. Well, I mean, it's interesting to me that you, you cited Mary Oliver, who's a very esteemed poet. Um, is the, is the pro and you, you, I think are in this dual wor- dual world as again, not only American Canadian, but you're a poet and songwriter. Um, and then an enigma wrapped in a mystery. <laughs> 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 I mean, uh, my understanding is that you started out as a poet, actually, uh, and were kind of in a, put in a position where you had to try to apply that practice to, to songwriting. Is that accurate? Totally. And it's been, um, it's been something I've been thinking about more and more in the past year, especially of, like, thinking about, you know, the differences between those two crafts, um... Because I think that those, I think that 
there's a huge amount of overlap between writing words and writing music. Like another artist who I, I was listening to uh, talk about their process recently was Joanna Newsom. And it mm-hmm. seems like she's so mathematical and like writes an essay for each song <laughs> um, with like describing the kind of sound world and like what she wants to happen with the the instrumentation and the production and, and in a way that I, you know, I find that so fascinating. And I definitely know of people who write like a novel in that way where like um, they will map out every little detail and like every character has a backstory and like a, a zodiac sign and stuff, even if it never makes it into the text because it's just how that they want to approach approach their, their, their art. And then I definitely know songwriters who they play their guitar, they're self-taught and that, you know, they play on the couch and the songs come and there's a sort of, it's just a different means to an end. And like, it's, it's, I really feel like it's however you get to that sort of like white hot moment of just making something beautiful or worthwhile or, or interesting. Well, I mean, I appreciate the fact that you're informed. I think it's probably healthy that you're informed by the processes and practices of two very strong creative impulses and that you see how they weave together. Um, because, I mean, I don't know. I, I can see all of that in your makeup in-, in terms of what you put out into the world, and I think that's great. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, I don't know. You were talking about how some of the songs from Saturday Night predate Ought. I assume that some of your experiences in Ought inform some of the songwriting on this record, the solo record? Totally. And uh, is there anything in particular that you can pinpoint uh, in terms of a, a song or something that reflects that experience of being an Ought, traveling the world? Yeah. Well, it definitely, that, you know, the whole the whole experience of being in art and being in a band um, affected like the way I thought about production and that sort of thing on the record. Um, to the two friends who recorded it, uh, Amy and Ross, uh, Amy Fort and Ross Gillard, who live in Toronto, they did a, like a lot of amazing work producing the record. Like it, it really sounds the way it does because they poured so much into it, and it was such a great experience working like in a really tight knit group like that uh, thinking about production which is something that I hadn't really done before because prior to Ott I had done all my recording on a little four track so production was really just like putting a guitar pedal in between the mic and the four track and like kind of like you know experimenting with like different sounds and often kind of like drenching things in in different effects or or the opposite you know just going totally clean Mm-hmm. And art, like, we thought about production more on the second record, but really, you know, that first record, we recorded it in three days and mixed it in another three, I think. And it was so whirlwind and in a way that I think really suits the songs and suits the energy of the live show. But, um, again that kind of like became our sound a little bit and you know we all wanted to ramp that up on the second record as far as thinking about 
tones more and then um you know even going into the future i know that's something that people are still excited about um exploring more so anyways long way around saying that doing that on this record was really exciting and definitely it formed informed from coming out of two band studio sessions and the song saturday night the title track on my solo record i think is definitely like the most like that song wouldn't exist if i hadn't been an aught and i think that Hmm. you know there's something really cool about that song uh and how it fits into the record for me i i really like that it kind of like sort of cracks open the second side a bit and um i think you know writing something like that which was very stream of consciousness or you know not literally but like that it was constructed in the studio from like bowed guitar that i had done and then charlotte playing drums and then me kind of doing this vocal incantation and then we slow we slowly refined it and like added the choir and that sort of thing but i think having that kind of mindset to think about a track wouldn't have i wouldn't have had that if i hadn't been in aught yeah well it has a a found sound quality in that sense that you've organized, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> it's an adventurous song. Well, I, I'm curious if you can talk about your plans for Ought uh, and any more plans you have for uh, solo endeavors um, in the time we have left. Is there any uh, updates on in either of those uh, areas? Totally. Um, yeah, Ott is working on a new record. Um, I can't share any more details than that, but um, Why not? Why? Because of the government? Yeah, the government is listening to us, Vish. We have to, <laughs> we have to be careful. Okay. <laughs> no. Um, but you're working on a new record. That's exciting. Yeah. No. It's um, it's essentially done. I guess we're just tinkering with it. Okay. Um, and yeah, we're all ex- really excited about it. And um, for solo stuff, I have a couple more shows this year. I'm playing baby g in toronto i'm playing pickathon and i i think that's it uh maybe like i think there's like a college show <laughs> right so now you, you know be, now you know <laughs> you got a few more shows and but no plans to necessarily uh write songs in this mode at the moment oh definitely i mean i have because the odd record's done um or like you know mostly done and and Saturday night was recorded at the same time as Sun Coming Down so there really has been like a bit of um, leapfrogging that's happened as far as like timing of things so I'm really excited to have had the experience of touring solo and to just kind of um, like set up my four track again and, and write a little bit and, and work on this odd record so it's a good moment right now I'm I'm feeling feeling really energized by just having taken in a lot of great music and et cetera recently and um also just like being in touch with like family who live in the states and and um yeah kind of like remaining a part of that conversation and but also trying not to spend too much time on twitter which is a new resolution for me (laughs) you're an active twitterer i've gotten into it but i mean especially after the election and leading up to it, I was just glued to my phone, like just in a way that felt so necessary, uh, and, and still does, but I I need to, I need to achieve balance, balance in all things. Nice. (laughs) Are you, 
Are you an active Twitterer? I am kind of. It's mostly just like, here's what's on my show, and here's a thing I wrote, and every once in a while I come up with a dad joke. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> that's that's basically what I use it for. I'm and I, I mean I. I'm deeply informed by it too. I sort of follow other people and news yeah. sources and try to figure out what's happening. What's um, your uh, What's your news source of choice, if I can ask that? Uh, well, I like the Washington Post. I like Democracy Now. I like the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Those are Breitbart, of course. I read Breitbart every day. <laughs> uh, no, I did, I just thought I'd swing as far right to the right as possible. No, I think those are pretty much my go-to's. Often comedians. Uh, or political analysts are these days people like John Favreau. I don't not the uh, director actor, but the um, former uh, Obama speechwriter. Uh, he's got a good podcast called. Uh, it was called uh, Keeping It Six Sixteen Hundred, but I believe it's his primary thing now is uh, In Pod We Trust, which I haven't actually listened to, but I kind of try to follow along there. Cool. So John Favreau is really cool uh, to follow because he's biting and funny and smart and uh so someone like him for sure nice yeah so yeah those things generally what about you i mostly read the guardian and Twitter. oh yes of course yeah the guardian is good too yeah, yeah. didn't mean to forget about the guardian they are also great yeah. i have i have the guardian app on my phone yeah so it's I don't a great app that, great app i don't think of that as a twitter thing i just look at my phone it's on my phone but it's not twitter yeah. so there you go yeah. <laughs> well, I uh, I I want to go to a song. I think we should go to a song from Saturday Night. Tim, can you pick us a song to go out on? Cool. Um, well, uh, um, <clears throat> I think you know we kind of we we got pretty heady. Um, how about <laughs> like a an instrumental track just to cleanse the palate? People have heard a whole lot of my voice just now. Okay. What do you think about first final days? We could do that. Sure. You first want final you days. want a vocal one because otherwise maybe still waking up. No, I don't mind. I don't care. First final days. I remember seeing it live and it reminded me of like a Silver Jews instrumental, which may not mean anything to you, but that's what I thought of. A guy like David Berman, very wordy uh, songwriter and very smart songwriter, and then all of a sudden there would be these little slightly off kilter instrumental things that I appreciated as well. Cool. Um, but anyway, I yeah, I mean, I'm happy to go with that if that's if that's your final answer. <laughs> then well, I'm fine with that. Now you've got me second guessing myself, but uh. well, I don't mean to. No, <laughs> I, I'm happy to do whatever. I, I, I it depends on what kind of flavor you want to give to the people, you know. Well, I think that'd be a good podcast outro, and then you know, if people want to hear me sing, they can check out the rest of the record. Right. Okay. So we'll go with first final days. Cool. Okay, here it is. This is uh, Tim Darcy with First Final Days. Tim, this was really fun for me, and I appreciate your insights about uh, the world, and I, I thank you for being on the show, and best of luck with everything. Totally, Vish. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, and, yeah, best of luck with everything, and I'll, I'll, I'll see you around soon, I'm sure.
Brand new music there by Tim Darcy from his excellent new record, Saturday Night. That was First Final Days. Tim, thank you very much for being on the show. I, I should say I need to make a correction. At some point, I was talking to Tim about the podcast that John Favreau's involved in that I haven't even yet listened to. And I said it was called In Pod We Trust, but I think that's just a thing they invoke when they talk about the thing on Twitter. The podcast, I believe, is called Pod Save America. Pod Save America. So I like keeping it 1600. I have yet to check out Pod Save America, but uh, there you go. I plug another show. I'm sure Pod Save America is good. I'm going to listen to it right after I finish this. How about that? This podcast is Creative Control. It's available on every podcast platform I think there is right now. And if you want to learn more about how to listen to the show, vishkana.com. Also go to patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to keep the podcast version of the show going. It does also air on CFRU 93.3 FM in Guelph as a radio show Wednesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time. Uh, And you can listen to it if you're in the area at 93.3 FM or around the world at CFRU.ca. Also, we're on Facebook and we're on Twitter at Vish Creative and I'm at Vish Kana. This episode would not be possible without our sponsors. The finest pizzeria in Guelph, Pizza Trocadero. Call them for pickup or delivery at 519-829-2444 or check them out at trocaderoguelph.ca. The Bookshelf, an independently owned bookstore, bar, music venue, movie theater, and restaurant located at 41 Quebec Street in Guelph. I'll learn more about them at bookshelf.ca. And for the finest coffee anywhere, Planet Bean, freshly roasted, fair trade, certified organic coffee. Visit them at planetbeancoffee.com for more information about their locations and how you too can sell their beans. That's uh, what you can do, planetbeancoffee.com. All right, that's it for this uh, episode. If you're listening and it's still April 2017 and you've pledged to our Patreon page, uh, if you pledge 10 bucks, I'll send you a t-shirt. That's the deal. If you don't want to do that, that's fine too. Leave your life. Have fun. As I say, that's it for me. I will talk to you soon. Goodbye for now. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most. But if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com.